yeah, great. Uh, uh, I don't get it. <laughs> there was no, there's no segue on that one. Just a straight up, I don't get it. Little rusty. Hello, everyone. Hello. Um, welcome to I Don't Get It, a podcast about performances in locked down Edmonton. Um, I am Paul. I'm Fonda, and we are part of the Alberta Podcast Network, locally grown, grown community supported. supported. Uh, <laughs> how are you, Fonda? I'm okay, Paul. Yeah, <laughs> how, are, how are you? <laughs> great. I feel like that's about the upper register um, to be in. That's totally, totally where it's at right now. Um, yeah, I am fine. <laughs> Yeah, well, we're we're going to talk about some um, holiday tradition shows, namely the Nutcracker for this episode. Um, but we're going to do. I think for now, we're going to um, we're going to thank thank our sponsors first. How about how about we do that and get Perfect. it out of the way? Let's do it. All right. So our first our first sponsor is the Edmonton Heritage Council, and they have a new program called eCamp. Here's mm. a little bit about it. <laughs> Edmonton City as Museum Project, ECAMP, tells the stories of the people, places, things, and moments that make Edmonton our city. For the upcoming season of the ECAMP podcast, you can help tell these stories by applying by January 8th to join the team as production coordinator or as one of our segment hosts. Whether you're a history nerd, a podcasting whiz, or just looking to tell community stories through sound, Visit citymuseumedmonton.ca slash podcast. ECAMP, an Edmonton Heritage Council initiative, needs emerging and experienced audio storytellers to bring to life a series on queer, immigration, and neighborhood histories. Join the ECAMP podcast team. Visit citymuseumedmonton.ca slash podcast and apply by January 8th. This episode of I Don't Get It is brought to you by Park Power, a provider of electricity and natural gas in Alberta that offers low rates, awesome service, and profit sharing with charities. In Alberta, you get to choose who to buy your energy from. If you choose Park Power, your money stays here. Plus, Park Power shares its profits with local nonprofits like the CKUA Radio Network and the Canadian Parks and Wilderness Society. Shopping local is especially important this year, and we love local here at the Alberta Podcast Network. You can learn more about switching your energy provider at parkpower.ca. Okay, so Paul, um, this conversation all sort of started up a little bit because I sent you an article um, in uh, in Dance Magazine uh, a couple weeks back. And it blew was, my mind. Yes. Why Why did it blow your mind, Paul? Um, well, it was an article about The Nutcracker um, as a show. And uh, the stat in it, there was a stat in it that was talking about um, how for like eight major ballet companies in America, um, this show producing The Nutcracker every year, which of course uh, I'm sure most dance companies in the world do or most ballet companies in the world do, uh, accounts for 50% of their revenue. Um which is bonkers to me. Um, uh, and I guess for me, what, what, I'm, what I'm hung up on is the fact that one single show, the same show, 
in all of these different places with all of these different art scenes um, is so important to like the financial engine of that company uh, of running a, running a, a company that big is like this is the cash cow um, that they require. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I mean, and then we kind of started trying to rack our brain about um, parallels in mm-hmm. either either other companies or even other industries where it was just this sort of like this one thing makes pretty much all of your money for the year. Right. Um, a Christmas Carol was sort of an obvious candidate as well. I, I don't know the stats on that and, and how it varies, but it's another wildly popular show to be produced by theater companies across North America. Um, obviously, the Edmonton one has been running for a long time now um, and even got like a revamp last year, but um, mm. is still there. You know, um, they didn't swap in a different uh, Christmas show. Um, yeah, but- yeah. And this year they actually filmed the the Christmas Carol, um, the new show that they did, or uh, Christmas Carol, I think it is, um, the new adaptation by David Van Bell. Um, and they're and they're streaming it for um, for for a little fee. Um, so it can reach Edmonton audiences, but it can also go kind of wherever wherever they want it to. Really, um, I think what you know, and not all theater companies do a Christmas carol there's a lot of Christmas shows a lot of companies will do a Christmas show I remember being at theater network um with bells on was a really successful show for a while Mm um I still think about that entrance um this (laughs) show where it's it's about two people trapped in an elevator if you haven't seen it um one of whom is sort of like a very straight-laced um type of person and the other is a is a drag queen in full rest uh like a festive um, costume and they get trapped in an elevator together and so there's this yeah. wonderful wonderful intro scene where um uh which introduces our drag queen character that's like shouting like hold the elevator and then this slow perfect walk in this massive costume uh onto the stage yeah and the and the the old roxy really did sort of lend well to that entrance because she walks basically right past everyone uh in the house to to get on stage and you can really see her in that house too anyway it was um fantastic show and i think one thing i mean about a lot of christmas shows uh christmas carol and i guess nutcracker included is that sort of sense that you know a christmas show is always sort of probably gonna end well um and you're gonna feel nice at the end unlike some of the other (laughs) some of the other more challenging art or shows that you could see over the year the christmas show is usually something super accessible family friendly um it'll make you laugh it'll make you cry good cry usually and then you know and then it's over and you're covered in sparkles and you can go out into the night and right. enjoy your holiday bask <laughs> in the theater magic that showed scrooge's transformation or or whatever the case may be yeah yeah and so i guess um so yeah it's like it seems obviously this time of year as well seems to be at least for those two which are sort of the two most obvious um uh holiday or like cash cow shows i can think of um, they are connected to the season and that idea of um, uh, a festive show and a festive show that's a bit um, upbeat, ultimately, like whatever the arc of it will hopefully uh, leave you in that sort of like hallmark Christmas spirit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think that there's something to maybe not just about the tradition of those shows, um, but even the familiarity 
Um, you know, like you, you hear the Nutcracker Suite and you're like, oh yes, I know this, this is Christmas music. Um, it doesn't have any words in it, but you know that it's Christmas music because the Nutcracker Suite is, um, incredibly well-known and famous, uh, and it kind of encompasses what, um, a lot of Christmas sounds like, even in films, um, where they tend to reuse it a lot. Um, I, I feel like, um, the first time I ever saw the Nutcracker, I was an adult. It was uh, for this podcast. <laughs> um, but I knew the music and I knew act one, um, uh, because it had been like parodied and lampooned and, uh, excerpted and, and, um, uh, paid homage to in so much media I consumed growing up. It is, as you say, sort of, it was just like this sort of iconic thing. Um, an iconic score uh, that uh, that has sort of transcended time and space and is always like a thing to point to at this at this season. Yeah. And I think, too, that I mean, particularly when I think about dance and dance companies, um, having having a ballet that people know that they will get um, is 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 actually quite a big deal. Um, people feel a lot more comfortable going to the Nutcracker than they do say even going to Swan Lake or something like that, because the Nutcracker is that sort of like very accessible story. Um, it's, you know, suitable for kids. Of course, the Nutcracker is also often one of the first ballets that children learn, um, when they are learning ballet. Mm. Um, there, it's often their first time on stage, um, not always with a big company, but they'll always do a, like a little nutcracker bit in any kind of like school, you know, um, uh, Christmas show and, and things right. like that. I was, so Alberta ballet had, um, had an interesting, uh, uh, press conference, online press conference the other day, talking to, um, some of their members and Jean Grandmaitre about, uh, about what it's like to not have the Nutcracker this year. And Kelly McKinley, who's been principal dancer with uh, Alberta Ballet for a, bit, a long time, mm-hmm. um, he, you know, the, the the release said something that, like, he had been in the Nutcracker every year since he was three years old. Wow. Like, that is, you know, and for, and for a ballet dancer, too, um, having a year even without the Nutcracker in some ways could be a relief, you know? Like, you don't have to do the Nutcracker this year. Thank goodness but at the same time even for any dancer to take sort of one year off of performing is a huge chunk of your career sometimes in in comparison to other you know other even athletes that sometimes have like much longer performing careers than um than ballet dancers typically do. Uh, and that was one of the other things that I thought was really interesting in this dance, um, the dance magazine article is that Jean Grandmaitre was interviewed for it. Um, and he noted that how devastating it was for this COVID year for, um, you know, dancers to be sidelined, even for, even for like, you know, a number of months due to an injury, Never mind, you know, like possibly looking at a year and a half now for, um, he said it could be something like 10% of their career time, which is just insane to think about. Right. That's so, it's so much. Um, yeah. And I guess because, uh, you know, in, speaking for Edmonton, I guess at least like these shows happen in like the biggest houses in, in the biggest spaces, you know, uh, it happens in the Jubilee auditorium for Alberta ballet's nutcracker. Um, the Citadel, you know, it's in, um, it's in the McLab, which is, you know, hundreds of seats, um, and those are going to be spaces that are going to take a long time, going to be the last things that are filled again, right? Those in like, uh, sports stadiums and concerts are these sort of massive, um, massive rooms. 
um, because you can cram in that many people who want to see the Nutcracker um, with their families or, or whatever the case may be. I think one of the things we talked about when we were talking about this initially was, um, yeah, part of that festive thing is like families are home for the holidays or have time off from work or school. And so it's like things you can do with your family, um, uh, which people are often looking for at this time of year. Um, and, and those, yeah, that sort of like familiar story of like, oh yeah, we can watch the Christmas Carol and watch, you know, the magic of this big budget production of this, of this timeless story that will be, you know, well acted and, and, and well, per, uh, well, uh, conjured and envisioned here. And, and yeah, we'll, we'll all feel this sort of festive, festive uplift in these dark months that we're looking for. Yeah. And that just that idea of a family tradition too. you know, the fam all they, they all do it every year, right? That's like, that's a huge amount of marketing money that you don't have to spend every year because there's just an automatic buy in for it. Right. Um, again, with the Nutcracker and Christmas Carol productions like this, your costumes are already built, your sets are there. Most of the cast already, you know, like know their lines or know their roles, you know, like, um, I, I, I bet you that there are many dancers within Alberta Ballet, not just the principal, uh, the principals who are, are cast in the roles, but almost any dancer could probably do part of the sugar plum the dance of the sugar plum fairy you know like she knows those steps they like it's it's choreography that is that is laid in um and i think too though many companies have like really different versions of a lot of the the different sort of like moving parts of the nutcracker particularly in the suite which i want to talk about because there's Mm -hmm. some problematic parts in that suite oh yes um (laughs) <laughs> but but I, I do think, though, that like just the ease of mounting the production is something that also helps lend to, um, you know, the economy of it, the like why it still makes money. I think that the first time that they build these productions, you know, the the Christmas Carol cost a million dollars to build mm-hmm. last year in its new um, in, in its new form. Right, um, right, right. You know, they spend a lot of money to build all of the costumes and sets and everything like that. But then once they're there they maybe have a good, you know, 10 years to just like go with it, right? right. It's, it's an investment. Um, mm-hmm. I want to uh, tangent briefly because one other type of show sort of um, came up in my mind as we've been talking and it's it sort of breaks this holiday pattern. But thinking about like uh, a Shakespeare in the Park type thing, that's another sort of popular um, theater thing that happens in summers. Um, there's Bard on the Beach in Vancouver. There's obviously uh, the Free Will Festival here. Um, and that's, um, there's still familiarity. There's like a bigger scope of, of options perhaps, or there's a bit more variety in the, in the scripts that will show up every year. Um, mm-hmm. but they'll all be, uh, Shakespeare scripts. Um, and so how do we think that sort of factors in? It feels a little, it's similar in that it seems like it's a thing that people want to go to and experience, um, at a certain time of year. Um, but it feels like maybe for different reasons than, uh, than, uh, the, or, or the holiday shows we've been talking about. Yeah. Thoughts on Shakespeare in the park. I think, um, I think that there is sort of something special about tradition around different times of year. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, again, summer is a time when a lot of people do have holiday and they have a little bit more time to take in something. Um, so maybe that lends a little bit to, more to tradition of Shakespeare in the Park. Like when I was working with Free Will, we would constantly hear sort of like anecdotal stories, testimonials of people who like met their wife and their first their their partner and their first date with Shakespeare in the Park. 
Um, right, so this right, is right. something that sort of gets ingrained as like something really special. I frankly also think that Edmonton's River Valley and Shakespeare in the Park is one of the best in North America. Possibly right. biased, just saying. Um, yep, great. But, but these 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 are also shows where you think you know they're really big casts. They're big stories. They're big sets. Um, they're very different than a lot of the contemporary theater that you see now. Um, and generally when we're talking about Shakespeare and, um, uh, the Nutcracker, they're essentially royalty free. Sure. <laughs> so, yeah. So, so, you know, there's, there, there's value in that, I guess. Like, you know, is there, is there a Shakespeare estate that like controls, um, the running of like, there isn't right. There's no, no, you don't have to pay to produce Shakespeare shows. Hell yeah. um, the Nutcracker, I believe, of course you have to pay the musicians if your music is recorded. Mm-hmm. Um, this, and the Nutcracker is much younger than Shakespeare. The Nutcracker was started, um, uh, first, in 1892 so i'm not sure if you still do have to pay for it i don't think you do i don't i'm kind of going off about things that i don't really know about right now but but another thing i would assume too is that you know like any any of the like really old works that continue to be reproduced um it it, they are often saving the rights on them um and uh and and also i mean like when you think about opera and things like that too you have artists that build their careers being known for playing certain roles in the repertoire right um and i think that that you know it's good it's good for certain artists in in that way because they're just like yeah you know like i can i you know i i play i play this role in this opera and and that's it you know people who get well known for playing carmen are you know that's that's a thing right Right. and 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 they will they will do two straight years of carmen in different cities around around the world right yeah yeah and that's how opera companies sort of sort of work it too i think with shakespeare you know if you're an actor who's known for doing shakespeare you get you you become in demand right you know they're because people for some reason people still love producing shakespeare and there's there's this other sort of um argument that's gone around in the in you know not in, in not in just recent history, but in the last while, they were like, you know, can we still continue producing these older works, especially when they struggle to either remain relevant or some of their, you know, tropes and themes are very problematic. Right. Um, and and so I think that's kind of another interesting thing to to address when we're talking about, you know, like the Nutcracker and the staying power of um of that story right and i think um uh like with shakespeare uh, like it's uh i mean i guess with the christmas carol too like these are all these are very like this is all from a very western worldview that these are the popular sort of in-demand shows mm-hmm. um, and uh, yeah that definitely like has let um has let them sort of um, continue to do them under the guise of like this is this is the classic or these are the classics or these are important or timeless or, or all of those sort of descriptors that get applied to shows like this or scripts like, like Shakespeare's that like, Oh, it transcends um, time. You know, you can, you can give it a different like theme. Um, You know, uh, like obviously every Shakespeare in a park has uh, usually will be like, ah, and this is our, our show set in the sixties, or this one is set in world war two or uh, Shakespeare often gets like recoded, um, in a, to sort of like hint at a different relevance or different sort of like um, applicability, I guess. 
Yeah, well, um, I mean, it took a really long time for everyone in, you know, in Shakespeare land to realize that there were hardly any roles for women and maybe they wanted to start flipping it all so that yeah. you could actually cast more than two women in a Shakespeare show. Yeah. And what's interesting, yeah. um, yeah, I, yeah, and yeah, for all the like gender flipping in those scripts, it sure, it sure took a while for people to actually apply that to casting. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so, I mean... To, to kind of bring it back around to the Nutcracker and some of the issues that we're, we're getting at here, um, for those who don't know the Nutcracker, um, there are some uh, problematic things that happen in the typical productions of the Nutcracker where the suite is played. Um, and this is where uh, the young girl, um, you know, in her dreamland, she goes to this land of sweets. Mm-hmm. And in the r- original productions, the land of sweets is populated by coffee um, and and chocolate and tea and marzipan. Um, and these treats or sweets are all um, depicted by different cultures. So coffee um, was typically known as the Arabian dance um, and tea as the Chinese dance. Um, and what's happened over the years is that, you know, what kind of went from, um, some very, very stereotypical, um, portrayals of Asian and South Asian cultures, um, you know, more and more dancers are speaking out about this and saying that it's, that it's kind of problematic. Um, there was a really good article back in 2018 that interviewed two dancers who, um, were starting this campaign called the final bow for yellow face, where they're dancers of Asian descent who were kind of really tired of, um, in particular the, the Chinese tea dance, um, or the way that it was being, or the way that it was being performed and, and portrayed. Um, so, uh, Sorry to jump in. Um, because I saw this show for the first time as an adult, um, what I knew as the Nutcracker was Act One, and this is Act Two, mm-hmm. and it was surreal. Because <laughs> um, it's also such a like, it's nothing like everything I pictured. And when I think of like the checkpoints of what the Nutcracker is for me, it was like that score. It's the toy soldiers. It's this battle um, and this this sort of like Christmas dream um, or a wintry dream, I guess. And then yeah, there's this like these very problematic um, representations of, of different cultures um, uh, that uh, that are just the second half of it. Yeah. And well, and this is, and this is the part where actually the most well-known music comes from. This is, this is the sweet part. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah. And what's funny too, is that um, the Sarah Kaufman is a dance critic for the Washington post um, and she wrote a piece. Um, she she actually won a Pulitzer Prize for arts coverage uh, about oh, cool. ten years ago, and um, one of the articles that she wrote was about the Nutcracker, um, but not so much about um, the sort of like racial stereotyping and things, but just that it was kind of old uh, and it wasn't you know challenging to um, to audiences. But she does talk about how a lot of the um, classical, like the favorite ballets. Um, have really Eurocentric values, um, despite um, a lot of, or uh, 54% in this piece, 54% of principal dancers um, in uh, surveyed by Dance USA were foreign born. 
Um, and this is kind of interesting because I think that Alberta Ballet has a great representation of dancers who are from a lot of other places like mm -hmm. Japan and Spain and Cuba and Russia. And, and, you know, and this was, um, this was another thing that she pointed out about American companies saying that many are most of the, you know, like dancers, um, whereas most of the, most of the principal dancers come from somewhere else, whereas the core, um, mm -hmm are actually mostly from America. It's this big juxtaposition, whereas the ballet companies can actually seem quite diverse in their makeups, but they're still doing these very European um, style and European in appearance shows right. um, that are, that are, you know, they're big, they're big cash cows still. And that makes me uh, wonder about a hesitancy to, to change in the sense of like, uh, we were talking about Shakespeare and at this point, like, anything is fair game and how you want to like what uh, genre or style or aesthetic you want to put a Shakespeare show in. It seems like companies are willing to just like do it and audiences are seem to be thrilled with that. But it seems like in, in some of those Christmas shows or in the Nutcracker, especially it's like pretty, pretty on the nose for what it has to look like. I know, I know there's like Shumka does a Ukrainian Nutcracker, Clara's dream. That's, um, that's uh, a little different in its aesthetic, but like, um, you know, it's it's an old work. Couldn't you couldn't you update that side of it um, uh, to to make it less problematic when when yeah. things like Shakespeare, which are also like quote unquote timeless classic old works, like everyone just like it's a playground to jump in. Uh, it's a sandbox. People are willing to like just like kick around sand and see what comes up and try different things and see what sticks and see what doesn't. Yeah, uh, I mean, I guess you know Shakespeare's got like. 200 years on <laughs> on right. uh, on on how old the nutcracker is right so maybe it, it just has been a, around for a, longer enough that people feel more comfortable experimenting with it i think that the calls for um experimenting and changing up the nutcracker have been going around for a little while um and but again the ballet companies i feel that there's such they're they're they are really so built on that economy of making the nutcracker work that if they didn't do the nutcracker and people didn't like it like i even remember when shunka started doing really contemporary stuff there was kind of pushback against it they were like i don't know if you know people it wasn't as successful as their sort of just like tried and true to traditional stuff mm -hmm. um and i think that one thing i guess i would way on the side of do we ever want to see experimental dance and cool stuff um, and things that are new and challenging that maybe don't make a ton of box office you know maybe we kind of need the nutcracker to pull in a lot of money so that we can see that other cool stuff because right. um, yeah I, like, I think that Alberta Ballet wouldn't be able to pull off a lot of um, a, a lot of their kind of like more uh, edgy stuff um, if, if, it, if it weren't for the revenue that things like the Nutcracker bring in. Sure. Um, my, uh, my only thought that runs counter to that is that, um, and time may have already proved this wrong for arts companies that might've tried something, but I feel like we were talking about, these are festive shows. People are looking for festive traditions. They're looking for things that are happening at certain times of the year that can be fun and special. Um, if you put something that still ticked that boxes in the it ticked those boxes in that slot, um, it might 
work, uh, which is not a strong sell, I realize. Um, but it's that <laughs> idea of like, if you gave something that is still festive, um, that still has some sort of um, cultural recognition in terms of like uh, references or, or um, uh, knowledge, general know- knowing, um, or even if you sort of like put, put some new spins on some of those old things, um, it's still the time of year people are looking for things to do with their families. It's still that time of year they're looking for a show that will give them that sort of feeling. Um, why, why couldn't it work? And again, maybe, maybe time has, and companies have already proved this wrong. I know it felt like edgy for the Citadel to change um, the the sort of era of the nut or not the nutcracker um a christmas carol from like it's sort of dickensian classic one that had been running for years and years to this one that was sort of like uh a 19th century uh like sort of like department store um world yeah yeah i think i, I well and i mean and people were really curious about like ooh, what is it you know is it going to be um uh you know they were they were wondering if they all of the cool theater tricks and theater magic were still going to be preserved in some way you know like because when these shows are traditional or traditions and they people have expectations about them right Right. um and i remember seeing christmas carol last year and was so pleasantly surprised um with the cratchit the cratchit change Mm -hmm. cratchit is is a female character in the new christmas carol um and you know it was just kind of like oh well, there's a thing they did, you know, but it's right. still it's still the same show. Like it's yeah. still Scrooge and three ghosts and all the and most of the tricks are still there. Yeah, or like um, new ones are a different. There are still tricks. Like it's still this like high high production value, high budget show. Um, it's just do we you know have we gone to this for years and years? Um, like Clockwork um, uh, and and sold it out and 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 done all the things. Because we know we want to see the same six tricks that we already know. We're like, mm-hmm. ah, here comes the ghost of uh, Christmas future. Sweet. It's a giant puppet. Love it. Uh, here's uh, here's uh, Marley's ghost poking through the door and then Scrooge hits the door and it's solid again. Here's, you know, Cratchit or uh, yeah, Marley flying up. Um, like we know those things. And yes, they're magical. But like, I can we not trust artists to also find new magic in in the same sort of uh aesthetics and and world i don't know i don't know why i'm i'm not trying to like argue this again i'm sure there's companies who have tried it and been like nope never again yeah Um, you know something that i think about like when when i like because i love shakespeare you know but when i when i see different productions what i'm most excited about is usually those specific performers like i want to go and see the David Tennant Hamlet because it's freaking David Tennant, you know, and I want to see how he does it. Thinking about this a little bit more when I'm, when I'm seeing a production or a play, when I know the play well, or I know the ballet well, um, I'm often really more curious about how that specific performer brings it to life. And I think that maybe that's something that, um, that as you know, I, I, I do think that that's, that's relevant. I, I think it makes, you know, People who, like, it gives you your local celebrity, right? Or or your stars, you know? Like, yeah. I and it's like... Person that. Yeah, I don't know. I'd like, there's no, there's no perfect production of anything that's, that's like a, a nonsense idea. And so it is like about like personalizing it in a way and seeing what this person does with that role. When I think about like, 
big productions that are sort of like, yeah, this will show up every 10 years or so. Like uh, The Citadel did Rocky Horror a while ago. And it was like, John, John Uliet was Frankenfurter. And it was like, oh, cool. I want to see what he does with that character. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, or uh, yeah, or or things like Shakespeare, where it's like, cool, who's uh, Hunter Cardinal and, and Kaylee Thomas or, or Romeo and Juliet? Great. Um, Whoa, yeah, I got to yeah. see that, you know? Yeah, it's, yeah. Like, it's about, yeah, seeing what people do with those things we already know and how they can how they can sort of bring them to life in a new way. Or, uh, some, at some point in the pandemic, who knows, between one and nine months ago, um, my roommate and I watched uh, a recording of it was uh, one of the major theaters in the world doing uh, Streetcar Named Desire. Oh my God, um, I saw that, yes. Yeah, with, with Gillian Anderson as Blanche. Mm-hmm. Um, and like that was the d- appeal for us, was like, oh yeah, I want to see what Gillian Anderson does with this this character. I want to see how she plays it. And everything yeah. else is like, yes, cool, but like, I want to see what that person does in this quote-unquote timeless role. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I also I I don't recall the actor's name, but the person who played Stella in that production was also amazing. She's also in The Crown in the first couple of seasons. Oh, cool! <laughs> oh, cool. And then um, Julian Anderson's in The Crown later. Um, yeah, isn't that weird? I suppose. Yeah. Oh, uh, did you watch The Crown? Have you watched The New Crown, Paul? <laughs> uh, I have not. I'm sorry. Um, I'm very bad with TV, but my pandemic watching has not gotten me around to that yet. But one day. <laughs> I think that maybe, but even The Crown, though, that's kind of an interesting uh, parallel, though, is that a lot of people are really, really into The Crown because of the cast and the performers that are bringing to life these other characters that they know so well. Mm-hmm. I, I would say real life characters, but I think we all kind of have an opinion about the Queen and the royal family as them. Right. You know, like how real life is that? They are they are characters that have been built for us through media and whatever, you know? Right, right. Um. So, yeah, I, and, but the appeal of the crown is really like, oh, my gosh, Olivia Coleman is playing the crown. Gotta see that. Or she, she's playing yeah. the queen, you know, like really need to see how she does it. Totally. Um, you see so it's performances that, that people are really reveling in, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so I don't know. You, you stack it with talent. You bring in the heavy hitters and you change a few things. Yeah. Um, you know, I'm not asking you to do the David Lynch version of the Nutcracker, although in a smaller way, I am asking someone to do that. Would that not be freaking awesome? I mean, they have done really screwed up versions of Sleeping Beauty. We saw that one. Yeah. Um, you know, and like other other shows, there's a really good one of Swan Lake out there right now. Um, and uh, I think you can all see these things on Marquee TV if you want to get your if you want to do your free thirty days or over the, right. the season. We've 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 talked a lot about it i think that we can hopefully let people take in some of the online offerings and uh and make their own decisions for whether or not they they like it and they want to support all of the all of the christmas shows that are happening and and at this point and especially this year that does mean supporting these companies in a major way um and that is that is a good thing to do um because uh, because all the arts companies are, are hurting real bad right now yeah, um, yeah. For, in particular, locally, like you can the the Citadel is um got you can buy a streaming pass for Christmas Carol. Um, you can also buy a pass to see the uh, Shumka's Nutcracker, okay. um, which was formerly called Claire's Dream. Now it's just called Shumka's Nutcracker. Oh, 
Um, and uh, and Alberta Ballet uh, uploaded a pretty uh, cool video too about um, some of their favorite scenes from their Nutcracker uh, with their dancers as well. So those are available. You can go see them. You should uh, you should you know enjoy all of the artsy wonderful things happening uh, from home and uh, and send and send those artists and those theater companies a donation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. If you split the cost of a ticket to one of those shows and donated that money to a bunch of arts companies right now, you would be doing a very good thing. Yes. Yes. Especially if everyone this year. did that. Yeah. If everyone Stop did that, local. they would be doing great. Um, yeah, absolutely. Anyhow. All right, Paul. Well, happy holidays. Happy Merry, holidays. Merry Christmas. <laughs> Wear a mask. Stay indoors. Yes. Do all those things. Cook, cook all the things for your own household in your home and, and just enjoy enjoy what you can. Yeah, it's funny with my roommate. We're trying to figure out like balance between each other's family traditions right now. Of just like, <laughs> and I, We don't have that many, but it's like, oh, what are our holiday traditions? Okay, great. What do, we, what do I need for this to feel somewhat like a holiday for me um, versus like what, uh, what Beth needs for, for those things? Um, yeah, yeah. Got to do it. Yeah, it's true. Well... We'll get through, you know, as long as we all stay safe. I think it'll, that's that's the best thing. Totally. All right. Totally. All right. Well, everyone, um, yeah, go see some shows online. Yeah. On the internet. <laughs> Bye-bye. I Don't Get It is a member of the Alberta Podcast Network. Locally grown, community supported. Episodes are produced by Fonda Mithrush and Paul Blinnell. We are recorded on Treaty 6 territory in Edmonton, Alberta. Our theme music is Mountain Time by Ghibli. Series art by Michael Nunweiler. Technical support by Andrew Paul. You can subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. If you value independent local arts coverage, please consider supporting us on Patreon or leaving us a review on your podcatcher. Find out more at idontgetityeg.com.